The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello everybody and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast. I'm Phil Kirkbride and today joined by Dave Prentice, Sam Carroll and Chris Beasley. As ever, we're here to chew the fat over all the major talking points at Grusen Park. And as ever, there's plenty to get our teeth stuck into. The boys on Monday, of course, dissecting, analysing, pouring uh-huh. over. The humiliation at Anfield, but of course, there has been more fallout since. And two significant stories emerging uh, in the aftermath Um Fabian Delph obviously embroiling in, embroiled in a social media exchange, should we say, with a supporter. Uh, and secondly, of course, and the bigger story, a small group of fans descending on the training ground on Monday, demanding to see the players and ultimately Marcel Brands going outside to meet them uh, and to sort of be used as a sounding board and to hear what they had to say. So we'll be discussing those, uh, those matters. Carlo Ancelotti has given his press conference this afternoon ahead of the game with Brighton, a big game, and we will talk about that. Cenk Tosin has gone on loan. Andre Gomez could be back sooner than expected. Um, and of course, various other things that have emerged in a uh, crazy but uh, not abnormal week, I guess, in the current climate at Goodison. Um, Fran, I just want to get your thoughts on, on the big story, I guess, from the fallout of Sunday and the news that broke, I think it was Wednesday, wasn't it? That on Monday... Uh, afternoon, a small group of supporters descended on Finch Farm uh, and asked, should we say, or demanded to see the players because of what had happened at Anfield. And obviously, Marcel Brands went out and spoke to him for twenty minutes, and and then it was all done with. What were your thoughts on on, on that that incident? I suppose. Um, I was amazed that Everson actually did come out and speak to them. Uh, I'm not quite sure what the group of supporters were hoping to achieve by that. Um, it underlines uh, the heightened sensitivities um, at play after what happened on Sunday. I mean, we talked about it earlier in the week, and it was you know the worst I can physically remember um, at Anfield. I mean, fortunately, I wasn't at the five 0 at Goodison Park. Otherwise, way back in 1982. Otherwise, I suspect that one might have only just uh, you know sort of superseded it. But it underlined just how appalling and how shameful that was. That there's been so many repercussions since. Um, I don't know about the fans turning up at the training ground. I understand why they're so angry and why they're so upset, but what were they hoping to achieve? And, you know, I'm surprised that Everson did actually deign to to come out and send, you know, a figure as significant as the director of football out to actually address them. Um, I would have just anticipated the security saying, fine, you know, so hang around and we'll ring the police. Um, They didn't, though, and that speaks volumes for Everson, I think. It underlines, uh, you know, the powers that be are treating what happened on Sunday very, very seriously. They are treating the way the fans have reacted to it seriously, as they should, uh, because it was truly, truly awful. Um, I think everything that's happened since then just underlines how bad it was. I mean, there's this, initially the stuff about uh, Duncan Ferguson and the reaction, you know, sort of his comments in the dressing room. Just shrugged my shoulders at that one, so what? You know, so there are always arguments in dressing rooms. That doesn't bother me in the slightest. But the fact that people, you know, were reacting to it 
underlined how you know so jumpy and agitated people were. Then you know obviously we'll talk about Fabian Delph later, but there was that fallout, and then fans turning up at the training ground. I mean, it's it's a very Latin American thing, isn't it? I mean, it happened at Sporting Lisbon. Um, on, a, mean, on a very different scale. True, of true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, Carlo laughed about it at his press conference today where he actually said that it's a normal thing in Italy for supporters to turn up at the training ground. I wouldn't like it to become a normal thing in this country. Um, to me, I'm not sure quite, you know, what was achieved by it, if anything, but it just does underlines again how pitiful uh, what happened on Sunday was. Sam, your thoughts on, 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 on that moment of the week? Yeah, it's tough to tough to follow up from, from Prenner there. I think he's kind of said what it's all about but it is just such a, a strange and kind of amazing turn of events isn't it that the brands did ultimately go out to speak to these fans and you know when you just even think about the the bare logistics of whether it was five six seven ten fans who who went to kind of have the idea and to say yeah i'm up for that i'm up for going to try and get into the training ground to have it out with the players you know it, it does as preno says just show how kind of annoyed People are getting, and I just think it's a kind of symptom of, you know, this hasn't just been the last season, has it? It's been pretty mm. consistent now for the past six or seven years of, of Everton just kind of letting letting the fans down on on every big stage imaginable. You know, every time there's kind of a, a, a sniff of kind of achieving something or you know pulling off a big result, and and they consistently don't just bottle it, but but kind of manage to do it in in a way that is is the most embarrassing possible and, and and Sunday was the kind of the icing on the cake for, for that one with, with that second half performance which for a lot of people will be the worst 45 minutes they've, they've ever seen. S- still surprising that the people would go down to the ground and, and still even more surprising the brands went out and spoke to them but again you know brands does kind of seem like the kind of the kind of figure who does generally care who, who does generally kind of want to tap into this kind of mentality of the supporters and, and see what their feelings are and, and you know, I think a lot of us would pay a lot of money to have been a fly on the wall to, to kind of see what, what, what kind of point he was getting across and, and what supporters were telling them because, you know, it is interesting to see that, you know, I think you're, you're naive if you think managers and players and, and, and directors of football all say what they actually think, you know, to the media out in the public and, and, and it'd be interesting to kind of see deep down behind closed doors what, what Ancelotti and Brands themselves thought about that performance on Sunday because I don't think it would surprise too many people if it was if it was dissimilar to what was probably getting said in that room in Finch Farm. Yeah, I think the, the public uh, announcements will be very, very different to what is said privately. I think it's the expectation level that was generated on Sunday, which is why we've had such a fallout. Uh, when those team sheets drop and you see a team of kids against you know so a, a full-strength Everson team and expectation is suddenly elevated, you know, wow, this could be the moment, this could be it, we could finally win at Anfield, first time this millennium. Um, and without even looking at, you know, so the other, you know, things that were at play, you know, so the Everton players who were clearly leg-weary and laboured, but just that expectation level suddenly grew. And then to have that shattered only 90 minutes later is why there was like so much fallout and it will, it will rumble on for a while, yes, it's, it's going to be a weird old atmosphere tomorrow, that's for sure. Um, Chris, um you know, credit credit to Marcel Brands because other other people in his position, you, you know, you can imagine would have just ignored mm-hmm. supporters. Um, but do you think actually, although although those group of fans, you know, some people will have difference of opinion about the actual going down to the training ground, and of, and of course they didn't actually achieve what they wanted to, which was to, to see the players. Yeah. This story 
will have got back to the players, of course. They will have read about it, heard about it. And in some ways, has actually the message got back, do you think? Because Premier League footballers, and, and I'm making a very general sweeping statement here, a lot live in a bubble. Perhaps aren't aren't yeah. acutely aware of the of the temperature and the feel amongst a, a fan base. Yeah. Um, and look, and I stress that's not that's mm. that's a, that's a very sweeping statement and, mm. and not including everybody. But do you think actually the fact that so angry have the supporters been that a small group have turned up at this training ground, which which Preno alludes to, isn't something that we're used to in English no. football. And secondly, and we, and we'll move on to it as part of this discussion, that there's been a fallout from a player interacting with an angry fan on social media do you think actually this week that the players some will have got it anyway but maybe some who weren't quite aware actually have gone oh, hang on a minute we this is you know this is really not good and we need to pull our socks up and prove and fight for these for these fans because yeah. they they they're not they're not happy yeah i think it's a message that they did need to be given um like we we can all say we can question the motives of the supporters or any sort of coherent strategy that they may or may not have had but in regards to the players getting the message over their feelings um, definitely we mentioned on Monday's pod the fact that there was only one player and he was a lone player Jibril Sadibi who had made the effort to go over to the Evertonians and um, applaud them at the, at the end of, of that game so yeah if, if, if you've got that kind of game team sorry where most of the players haven't even bother to acknowledge the supporters at the end of a, a game like that. I think them actually getting that message, whether they actually face the players and the fans or not, would that actually be a, a good thing and something that they need to, to take on board. That you, that you can't get away with a result with that and not have any repercussions. Mm. Uh, it, I was like, oh, well, we'll play Brighton now and get three points on Saturday. Every, everything will be OK, move on. Well, well, no, this is like, I think, as Sam has mentioned, it will be a result which will have uh, implications for a long time. I don't think you can start blaming individual people, but to me it also kind of seems very coincidental that, you know, Martinez was kind of, uh, you know, infamous maybe now for, for being kind of almost too lenient with the players. You know, Koeman was a bit standoffish and maybe didn't didn't care as much. And, and you know, Marco Silva seemingly was the same. You know, it did seem like generally the players had a lot of affection for him, but sometimes you did kind of worry... You know, was he a strong enough character to kind of, to, to you know, give them that motivation when they needed it? And then you look at like when David Unsworth was in charge, someone who, who clearly wouldn't take no nonsense, and, and maybe sometimes could could be a little bit abrasive in in his own way. You know, there was that training ground fallout, and now Ancelotti comes in, and again you you kind of hear rumblings of, of players being unhappy in in the dressing room, and and I just think it's 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 a it's a group of players that. The majority, and, and I'm not saying anyone because there are some some really really good footballers in there. But to me, there's there's a majority that have been that have been pampered and that have maybe kind of thought they'll they'll get an easy ride at Everton, or or have just kind of fell into into a trap. You know, they might not have necessarily meant to do it, but they've, they've just kind of meandering the way through a career at Goodison and, and and picking up a wage, which seemingly was the basis for what a lot of these angry supporters were kind of saying. That when did Everton ever become? This club where we, we just pay pay lads to turn up and whether they get B five nil or one nil at your closest rivals or whatever, they all just saunter off the pitch. And you know, I, I was staggered by Gilfie Sigurdsson's comments a, a couple of days after it, where he kind of said everyone reacts differently, and I'm sure the players will go over more in the future. You know, I, I thought that was I thought that was shameful, really, to, to to think that regardless of how you react to a defeat, you you go and pay respect to fans who. 
some who have who've forked out a, a large portion of probably what they earn in a week to, to go and watch you and, and support them and, and, and you've just embarrassed yourself in the shirt to, to not go over and whether you get stick or you get clapped, you, you go and deal with it, don't you? So, you know, the, the, there is a few in there who, who've had an easy ride and I, I don't think it's a thing of the, the need to to get kind of motivated or they need to be aware of what's happening outside of the club or they need to be aware of fans turn up at the gate because it shouldn't have to be happening in the first place, mm. should it? Whatever you're yeah. earning, as soon as you sign for Everton, you, you put 100% on the pitch and you don't turn in. That, that should be the case, like though. I mean, I said earlier in the week, it's all down to recruitment and we probably haven't had uh, an attitude uh, in Goodison Park or Finch Farm that we would like since David Moyes went, I'd, yeah. I'd say as long ago as that. And that was because when David Moyes bought players, because we had lots of embarrassing results under him, uh, but when he bought players, uh, he looked very, very detailed and very deeply into their character yeah. as well as their ability. And he tried to create a squad of players that he could trust and he knew what he was going to get from them. And I saw something the other day, somebody talking about, uh, you know, so how Everton overachieved under David Moyes, qualifying for Europe. And it was a bit harsh, he said, with Kevin Kilbanner left midfield. And uh, oh, somebody else they mentioned just picked two, mm. two, two unglamorous players out. But two players that had absolutely, you know, so 100% attitude, impeccable all the time. Yeah. And, you know, so we're at it all the time. And that's maybe a little bit lacking at the moment. You know, so you get games where you see players maybe go missing, maybe not quite showing the right level of attitude. And that comes down to recruitment. I was going to say, Prano, let's pick you up on that point. Do you think maybe in this, in this era where, for want of a better phrase, we've come into money, yeah. do you think maybe we have lost sight of those values in, 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 in recruitment? And are, are you confident from what you hear and what you see and what you read that, that actually some like mm. brands who've come in has got more of a handle and, a, and an idea that that is important? Possibly. I mean, uh, I read a piece earlier in the week uh, comparing Everton to Leicester and their recruitment strategy, uh, Leicester picking up young, hungry players, in inverted commas. I mean, James Madison, everybody knew about, and you know, you know, Everton were linked with him, certainly, but decided not to go down that road. Uh, but suggesting that Leicester were picking up the players that had something to prove whereas Everton were going down more like the glamorous route, buying players from Barcelona, buying players uh, for huge sums of money like uh, Gilfie Sigurdsson, thinking that would be a better fit. And it was a fairly easy argument to make that. And you know, the, the truth is somewhere in the middle. Mm. Um, you know, sure, you want you know, footballers from Barcelona. They're not Barcelona for a reason, because they're quality footballers. But equally, you, need one, you want players with really you know, so strong character and you know, so intense attitude. And we do have players like that in, in the squad, just not enough of them. Um, I mean, Fabian Delph was brought in as that kind of player. And whatever we've seen from him so far, nothing has happened to question that. He looks like a player, you know, so who has got a decent attitude. Seamus Coleman, you know, so we know has that, which is why I was a bit surprised when I saw him being one of the players, you know, taken off um, at the weekend. But it's all about building a squad of players that all have that same mindset. Obviously, there's lots and lots of different individuals within the squad, but you want to try and create an identity, if you like, and uh, that's lacking at the moment. And it's going to take Carlo Ancelotti a lot of work and a lot of time to try and you know, rediscover that attitude. As I say, I think it's been lacking since David Moyes left. Chris, we hope that the events of this week will have offered, as we mentioned before, a, a timely reminder to, to, to the squad about what it means to play for the football club. Um, how confident are you that we will see a reaction against Brighton on Saturday? Because I think you know, it easily has been perhaps lost to a degree in, in the events of the week, but it's, it's a significant game for the yeah. club, a huge opportunity for a win um, because we all know how tight things are and how, how 
a bad result and other results going against us elsewhere, and all of a sudden the table takes on a completely different comple- uh, complexion. So, how confident are you that, that we will see a reaction from the players, and that the uh, and, and what sort of atmosphere would you anticipate as well? I am confident there will be a reaction. I think that it's. I think, as we said on Monday, it's going to take a lot more than a mere reaction in this one particular game. As Dave alluded to, it'll probably take Everton having to beat Liverpool in the next derby for it to almost be sort of, I can't even say cancelled out, but sort of... Mm. of Equalised almost. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. but um, in in regards to um, what we might see in in the ground, I know people have said, um, oh, well... You know, chuck a few of the kids in and stuff like that. I think, well, it's not April, you know. Just still, you know, we're, we're only, playing we're New only, Brighton. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're only in January, so yeah. I, I expect. I'm fully expecting a a proper reaction from the team, a good performance. They've beaten Brighton in both of their home games since Brighton came up into the Premier League. So you know, I'm, I'm expecting a strong performance from Everton, but unfortunately, it'd be too little, too late. What, regardless, what happens? I mean, we can't change the past now, and then you can you can only. Um, Go forward. So I just, I, I just hope that, um, that there's nothing from the players. Almost like, well, there you go. Then that mm, sort of yeah, attitude. Yeah. That oh, okay, go on and turn Brighton so over. So Brighton now. has to be the start of something. Yeah, new, yeah. yeah, definitely. It has to, yeah, it has to be the start of a, a consistent run of performances and results. And because, like you said, that table is still very tight. We saw that back-to-back wins in 48 hours under Ancelotti, and suddenly they were briefly in the top half of the table, but. They're all on the same points as Southampton still, I think, stuff like that. It's mm. still very close bottom half of the table. So, yes, still plenty of points that need to be picked up in these weeks ahead. What, what, what's really worrying, sorry to jump in, sorry. is that there's like the seeds of a fracture developing now between the supporters and the players stroke the club at the moment. And that can be a very, very difficult thing uh, to repair. I mean, it's happened very, very quickly. Um, only a month ago, you know, everybody was bouncing, you know, so during the, you know, the unifying force that was Duncan Ferguson, you know, so bringing everybody together. And then when Carlo Ancelotti came in, there was like, you know, so a real mood of optimism and positivity. And that seems to have gone very, very quickly. And you just sense now that, you know, even if Everton win on Saturday, as Chris says, you think that, you know, a lot of the fans are going to be, well, so well, you know, so too little, too late. And, you know, they're waiting to be, to be pleased. They're waiting to be, you know, impressed. And, if you don't get over that very, very quickly, you do get a them and us situation then, which it, it's very, very damaging. Um, you it's, know, it's why in tomorrow's column, actually, I've written, I've written about this panel and why, although it was Brands who went and physically was the man to, to sort of um, go and speak to those fans, actually, for me, the onus on that has to fall onto one man. It's not his problem, but he, he's the man to find the solution, and that's the manager, yeah. because he has to be that conduit between the stands and the players, and he has to find a way of playing and has to motivate the players that will get the fans back, doesn't he? True. And, you know, it's unfortunate, but he's not that demonstrative kind of manager. Everything he does is understated. Um, you know, so Duncan did it very, very differently. You know, he was uh, patrolling up and down the touchline, throwing ball boys around and, mm. and pe- people loved it. Um, you know, so Carlo would about, about, go about it his own way. Maybe he could use Duncan, you know, so in that yeah. respect, you know, so I'm not saying a cheerleader, he's far more terrible football club than that. Absolutely, yeah. But, you know, so somebody to actually, you know, so just try and get the fans back on side again, um, whether it takes him actually going out there on the dugout and just making a few gestures towards each end, you know, so come on, get behind us. Yeah, and Klopp does it every five minutes, at, you know, at Anfield. And, 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 and we've, and we've have seen, I think it was in the Burnley game, you know, the other assistant, there's another one to Carlo, his son uh, David, you know, he was up celebrating. Yeah. So maybe, maybe Carlo needs to encourage uh, his son to be a bit more, sort of, you know, 
demonstrative and, 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 and be a bit like Duncan in that respect. Totally. I think I think the the thing as well, what, what Pran was saying about the, the divide maybe is that to me at the moment there's a lot of kind of parallels with that second Cumin season, which was 2017, mm. 18. Yeah. I didn't see 18, unfortunately. <laughs> no, he didn't, no. But it, it just kind of, again, I think it has just totally ground people down, hasn't it? And I think that's where the divide is coming in that, you know, a manager came in, you know, with maybe a few question marks around him, had a pretty good season and especially strong second half of the season, a positive summer transfer window, everyone's buzzing and very quickly turned sour and, and it, it has just happened once again, hasn't it? You know, a former player comes in and kind of lifts the mood a little bit and then a new manager comes in but I just think people now are kind of sick of the, the same faces and, and maybe just by, you know, the, the people like Sigurdsson and Schneiderlin just because they've, they've been there all the way through this kind of poor poor two poor spells you know you, you do kind of attract attention to yourself you know probably they might admit anyway they have they have been poor but that is where now I, I just think you know people have got a lot of faith in Ancelotti and his son and, and Duncan and, and you know this this new kind of team of staff that have come in but to me I, I, feel, I feel like a lot of fans now are just kind of treating this season as a bit of a write-off and the positivity will just start again in summer when when they see kind of the decks being cleared whether that's even possible and more new faces come in, but then it's just a cycle starting are again, you, isn't it? Are you it? saying psychologically for supporters, until we've made a clean break with, break with the past, and by that I mean players who've been around under perhaps Lesso Martinez, been under Koeman, etc., and have, and have failed a couple of managers, until yeah. they're gone, is that what you're saying? That That's only when there will almost be a, a freshness about the whole place, you mean? I think so, because I think, rightly or wrongly, I, I do generally now think people like Sigurdsson, Schneidlin and maybe even Theo Walcott, not not to kind of throw throw them under the bus, but they have almost become symbols for for failure and, and maybe not failure, but not living up to expectations. Mm. You know, and it has happened now for, for three seasons running. You know, Koeman got sacked, Silva got very close to getting himself sacked, you know, and then there was kind of almost a, a redemption in, in the spring and then he got himself sacked again, so... Uh, or, or he did get himself sacked eventually this season. So, you know, it's three seasons where Everton fans have been kicked down in, into the dirt for a, for a pretty long spell of time. You know, you, you forget how long that terrible run lasted under Silver last season. You know, you forget how very real the threat of relegation seemed under Koeman and, and, and it forced Mashiri to hire, you know, an unpopular choice in, in Sam Allardyce. So, you know, for it to happen again and again and again, I, I just think now people have kind of said, you know what, he doesn't fit, he doesn't fit, this isn't working, and we need to start again. And we do now, now, as we've kind of said over the course of this podcast, you need young lads, you need hungry players, you need to get a good mix, which is what you're seeing, as tough as it is to admit, that you're seeing at Liverpool, you're seeing at Leicester, the teams that are doing well, they've got young players, they've got energetic players, and ultimately, as Preno says, you look at a lot of them, and, and you see characters, and you see a team, you see a unit, you see a group of mates. You know, I look at that Everton team now, and, and I, I don't know, they might all be made up with each other but to me there doesn't look to be very many lads who are fighting for each other and there looks to be even less lads who are fighting for the for the people in the stands which is just a recipe for you know a, at best mid-table mediocrity the royal blue podcast from the liverpool echo the royal blue podcast well look for for balance um carlo Ancelotti. His press conference says the players work, have worked well this week. He has had that full week, hasn't he? The longest period he's had since joining the club to work with the players uninterrupted. And he said that when they've analysed the defeat at Anfield, there were no arguments, there was no discussion, there was an acceptance of where they'd gone 
wrong. Um, so let's shift on the discussion because um, we could spend all day and night talking about uh, the fallout from Sunday. Um, bit of transfer news. Uh, Jenk Tosin has gone on loan uh, to Crystal Palace. Um, anybody what, of, the, of, of, the, of the thoughts that that's, that's the wrong decision by the club or is that the correct decision? Think, How will he get on? I think it's probably best for all parties concerned. Um, again, Tosin was one of these players who struggled to, to get him off the books. We, we knew as, as far back as, as last summer, you know, he was surplus to requirements and, you know, they would accept the right kind of offer for him. But, you know, he, he's on a, a good wedge at Everton mm. and he, he wasn't um, willing to um, give that up um, lightly. Hence, probably why he's ended up at another Premier League club. We know for a long time his old club, Besiktas, other Turkish teams, been linked for him. But ultimately, he's gone to another Premier League um, club at the, Decent finisher on his day, um, but for Everton, what Everton wanted, he, he didn't. He just never seemed mobile enough. Um, we saw him fits and starts, scored that important goal against Tottenham when he mm. when he came on. Um, so yeah, I, I think I think it's best for all parties. It's just a shame from Everton's point of view that again, it's only a loan deal and it's not a permanent transfer. It's just one of those many players that we can't shift. I mean. Don't mind him, you know. He's he's not absolute top level, you know. He was okay for what Sam Allardyce wanted at the time, which was you know a physical presence in the middle to get on the end of crosses, which he did on a number of occasions. I mean, Stoke away was the uh, the notable one, um, but not really a player that you're going to plan around for the future. You know, Calvert Lewin is somebody you can plan, you know, sort of a future around because uh, there's development, there's there's improvement there. Uh, there's promise, whereas Tosin, what you see is what you get, which is a reliable enough finisher, as Chris says, but a player who lacks a bit of mobility and a player who's on a huge transfer, he's uh, on a huge salary, courtesy, I believe, of Mr. Walsh's uh, negotiations back in the day. Um, so as a result, he's only left on loan and uh, it'll be another of those players of which there's a massive long list now <laughs> that we just can't lose permanently. Um, and it's going to take several seasons before a lot of these players are shifted and moved on. Marcel Brands arrived with a different strategy altogether, and that strategy is still in place despite you know sort of a new manager arriving. But to see it through is going to take time. No, and, and again, it's something something I make a point of in, in the column tomorrow morning that selling this column, aren't you? Phil? <laughs> well, this is a, this is what the podcast is about. <laughs> <laughs> um, understandably, in the wake of Sunday, and we've all we all probably thought it. We were all looking at a number of players going right, just. You know, get rid of them. Not good enough. But as you say, Preno, clearing the decks has been ongoing yeah. for eighteen months yeah. and shows no sign of, of easing up. You know, you look at the list of players who aren't who are on loan. You have got Sandro, you have got Balassi, you have got Besic, you got players of that, uh, you know, almost forgotten players yeah. who we can't yeah. we can't sell. All, all all with another eighteen months to run on a contract. It's not like they can get rid of them this Correct. summer. Yeah, yeah, like you said, I was tasked with doing um, a piece on the loan players today, and it, they're just an absolute army of them. And yeah. like you said some. Some are young prospects who, yeah, they might uh, come back. I mean, there's John Joe Kenny's probably the, the, the one, the best chance of actually coming yeah, back and making it. But yeah. the, the, so many of them, are you thinking, wow, are they still there? Somebody like, like Bessich? You're thinking, well, you're, like I say, almost a forgotten man because it was that long ago since he was even in the Everton first team. He's the previous long spells at Middlesbrough. And, they just can't get rid of them. People like people who aren't even out on loan, Umar Nias and uh, how long, how long, And with the regret respect to Umar, how long have the football could been trying to sell Umar Nias? Yeah. It's also reaching the stage now, isn't it, where I think, remember in pre-season, uh, Unsworth telling me that Bessich requested to play in an under-23 game, Pennington requested to play, Nias requested to play, Martina requested to play. So, you know, that's £20-odd million pounds worth of of talent having to request to play in games just to keep up the match fitness and, and, and the lining up sometimes against 
or lining up with 16 year old lads like Tyler on Yango and, and you know maybe in, in some respect it might be good for some people's development to work alongside them in some capacity but as Bees are saying it, it is a genuine army of, of players now and you know I love I love it's difficult isn't it I know you see some people online saying just pay them off just just get rid of them but it's not really as simple as that no. in, in reality is it which is which is difficult so you know th- th- it is such a such a big task and you do you do really wonder how many of these players, you know, if if it would have been Marcel Brands who went in alongside Ronald Koeman in in that summer, you know, yeah. how many of these players would he have signed? Not you know, many. I don't think many, if any at all. When you when you think back, you know what Prenner was saying. We we kind of went for that thing of signing established Premier League players who were great for Crystal Palace and Swansea and and teams like that, and and haven't quite cut the mustard at, at Everton. So. You know, it, it it is interesting, isn't it? Because I know, especially this month and then again in the summer, the fans will will be all about who we're signing and who's coming into the club. But there's financial fair play, and, and I know Farhad Mashidi was quite keen last summer to to try and balance the books in in some respects. But you know, it, it's not fantasy football or football manager, is it? You do generally have to look at who we're going to get rid of as well. And I mean, I think if Carlo Ancelotti takes a step back, he probably need to lie down for a bit when he thinks no. of the mm. amount that he needs to get rid of. And it does it cause problems, you know, because Carlo Ancelotti wants to bring players in. He's spoken about it, but he's got to do it against the backdrop of there's a general meeting next week when Everton's, you know, so losses for the year are expected to be, you know, so considerable. Um, and I forget the Premier League ruling is it over a period of three years. £105 million. Pounds, yeah, £105 yeah. million pounds, you know, is the, the maximum. amount, maximum losses that you can uh, you can post. Therefore, Everton have to be very, very careful and very shrewd. Uh, they have to lose players before they can bring players in. And it, it, it's a balancing act. And, you know, it's, it's a very, very difficult balancing act at the moment because the salaries were so considerable that a lot of these players were brought in on. It's very, very difficult to lose them. Mm. Obviously, Carlo today um, opened up more than he had done about this meeting he had with Marcel on Monday about transfers. Um, as you say, Prano, he, he still is speaking, hopefully, about trying to add um, players, he was being coy about positions and names, but did sort of allude to the fact that he would, wouldn't mind a new central midfielder, yeah. um, a position that needs strengthening. Do we do we agree? Yeah, I think it was only yesterday that I've seen a video of of us playing Brighton last season, and you know, you kind of forget that we ever had a Drissa Garner gay, but then you just realise yeah. probably you know next to Romelu Lukaku the. The player that has been most missed at Everton in, in, in the modern history. Well, isn't Gay it? and Gomez, that's not a bad double act in the middle, is it? Well, well exactly. It, it, it wasn't, was it, last yeah. season? Yeah. yeah. And I just think we, we really have missed that kind of energy. I just think Adrissa Garner Gay will will probably be the most underappreciated Everton player, probably up there with, with, of all, t- all time, certainly in, in the modern history. You know, you know, he did have a lot of admirers, especially towards the end, but there was times, remember after we got beat at home by West Ham. At the start of the Marco Silva era, you know, he, there, there was a lot of critics after he kind of lost the ball with, with a pass, and people kind of saying, "What else does he do except run round?" But ultimately, there's a there's a market for that type of midfielder at the moment, which he's shown at, at PSG. And we, there's just no energy in that midfield. You know, it, it, it got shown up almost embarrassingly against Liverpool. You know, Sigurdsson and, and Schneiderlin they weren't exactly playing against Modric and Kroos, and they got made a mockery of by Chiravella and Adam Lallana. So. You know, it was difficult to watch at times, and, and you know that Adrissa Ganagay probably wouldn't let that happen. You know, obviously massively unfortunate to lose Gomez and, and Jabaman in the manner that we did. But I, I don't, Ancelotti is long enough in the tooth to know any midfield needs someone who's going to 
run for 90 minutes, get stuck in for 90 minutes and, and cover those spaces and, and break those lines up. So it's, it's easier said than done, but, but you'd like to think that between him and Marcel Brands and, and this scouting team that we have, that there's been someone or, or several players out there identified because I think that's the exact type of player we need to get sorted by the end of January. I'd take sign and no one else as long as we get one player like that. I, I was going to say, I'm just going to float this idea because January, as we know, is, is full of pitfalls. Marcel's not a fan. Um, and the, and clearly, there's you know there's nothing in the pipeline as it stands. What would be the reaction, do you think, if the club actually didn't sign anybody this month? I don't know. I mean... Th- I don't think it'd be, you know, so people turning up at the training grounds uh, so demanding audiences with the director of football again. Um, I think the counter to that is that bringing a new face in will give a lift uh, to the place. It creates a bit of expectation, you know, so maybe puts a bit Absolutely, of un- yeah. unfair expectation on that individual's well, shoulders. Yeah, yeah. But equally, there's a bit of excitement, you know, you know we're excited at Umar Nias's arrival, at uh, Cheng Tosin's <laughs> arrival, because, you know, it's that unknown, you wonder what, quite what a difference they can make to the squad. Injection of energy. So, yeah, you know, so bringing you a new face in automatically lifts things a little bit, you know, on the terraces. But equally, it gives the players in the squad a little bit of a kick up the backside. You know, suddenly yeah. people are looking over the shoulders, thinking, well, I've got to do a bit more here if I'm going to get a first-team player. If ever one was needed. Well, just a bit, yeah. <laughs> so, no, it, it would be important. I don't think, you know, the fans will be... Um, yeah, so revolting if we don't sign anybody in the January window. But equally, I think if we do, um, there'll be a bit of excitement, and it'll hopefully just give a bit of a positive, bit, bit of positivity for a change, which yeah. is desperately needed at the moment. Another bit of positivity, Chris, uh, came from Carlo's press conference uh, this afternoon. The news that Gomez, Andre Gomez, uh, will be back at Finch Farm next week, training by himself, but still, nevertheless, back at Finch Farm training, and it appears he is. Ahead of schedule, perhaps, and and you know, you know, the the hope that we'd had that he might play again before the end of the season yeah. looks realistic by the sounds of things. Yeah. It makes that whole central di- midfield dilemma more of a dilemma in that you need somebody, but perhaps only for the short term. In that, if Gomez is ahead of schedule, popular character both on and off the field, um, you know, gives the team something different there. And then with Gabamim as well, also on the comeback trail. So it might mean if there is a central midfield signing is possibly a lone player I don't know but yeah it's great to hear because obviously when the, the I was there when the the day that injury happened and just you know you could tell straight away it was something bad just the reaction of all the players it, it was horrific so for, for the prospects of him playing again this season it's, it's, it's terrific isn't it to think that he he might be back a bit ahead of schedule and yeah that that'd give everyone a, a real boost the nice another positive I took from that press conference today uh, was the reference to his goalkeeper where he talked mm. about, um, you know, I'm not going to tell you which positions we're chasing. And he was pressed on it. And he said, well, all right, yeah, central midfield maybe. But he said that, you know, we know we don't need a goalkeeper. We've got the international, you know, the England number one goalkeeper. And I raise, sorry, no pun intended, I raise an eyebrow sometimes. When, uh, <laughs> left uh, eyebrow, yeah. <laughs> when people criticise Jordan Pickford, I'm thinking, hang on, you know, think of some of the goalkeepers we've had, you know, sort of Goodison in recent years. This is a very, very, very talented shot stopper who's still a young goalkeeper that still has one or two rough edges uh, to be ironed out, which he is ironing out at the moment. 
he's top class. He's a very good goalkeeper. That's safe from Origi, you know, which is like being forgotten about Absolutely, now. Absolutely, yeah. Because yeah. probably because Origi was offside at the time, you know, whether that would have been given or not, I don't know in hindsight. Uh, but it was absolutely stunning. Uh, his distribution was a little bit iffy during the game, but, you know, so... Largely, he's very good. Generally, you know, so he was one of the few players that could actually hold his head up after the, after that match. And this season, he's, he's been pretty decent as well. He had one or two, you know, so shaky moments last season, but he's overcome then again. So just, you know, that, that is one area of the pitch that, you know, we don't need to worry about too much. I was quite pleased to hear Carlo Ancelotti reference that and uh, just say, yeah, you know, we're, we're happy with that. Let me let me just sustain that line because something that I've been thinking about for a while and I know a couple of us have, have talked about. So we don't need a first-choice goalkeeper. <laughs> Besides, Sam, <laughs> do we need more in the backup position? Because Jonas Lossell, notably, is no longer considered number two because he's not been even in the matchday squad since Duncan took charge. And we don't quite understand or, or fully know what's going on. We are sort of trying to dig around and chase exactly what, what the situation is. But clearly, Martin Stecklenberg, he's seen as number two and he's out of contract. In I, I couldn't tell you what Jonas Lossel looks like. Might have seen him in the fresh air. It's, it's so long, exactly, it's so long since we've uh, clapped eyes on him. But, but, you know, is that is that something that, you know... Well, Lossel was given a, a three-year deal when he signed, wasn't he? So, to me, it almost seems like a bit of a, a pointless exercise because if you're happy with Pickford, then... You've got to keep her there for another two seasons after this season to, to, to warm the bench. Pickford hasn't missed the Premier League game since he signed. Pickford wouldn't have missed the game if we hadn't changed. But, but is these, the, is league the, is the to, infer- to give him more to give him more competition? Maybe. Yeah, but is the inference that Sam that that Lossell was brought in quite yeah. clearly with the with the mission statement put pressure on Jordan Pickford. You know, he's not even in the squad. So yeah. he, so surely the, the inference is you have not been putting pressure on Jordan Pickford in training. Yeah, t- totally, and, and maybe then it's up to in the summer if Stecklenberg doesn't sign a new deal or, or moves on, which I, I presume he probably would. Then the the only other option is is Joe Virginia, isn't it? Who obviously has had an unfortunate kind of loan spell at Red and got frozen out after making a couple of a couple of errors himself. Um, but you know, from from what we've we've all seen of him at under twenty three level, he's a very talented goalkeeper. So, what do you say to him? Right, we're going to have you, Jonas Lossell, and Pickford this this summer, and, and if you impress in training, you're going to be my number two, and you're going to be the one we turn to. So, th- that that'll probably be be my option for now. I, I don't really see why, unless an absolute real kind of talent who was identified, and and everyone was like, you know what, this kid could actually could actually make a move for Pickford shirt. Unless that comes up, I, I just think it's. Uh, I don't think Pickford's form is, is enough of a concern. As Preno was saying, he's a 24, 25-year-old lad. He's England's number one. He's been a World Cup hero who, who unfortunately has, has kind of, in the last season, picked up the habit of when he makes a mistake, they've, they've led to goals. You know, and, and it's kind of once he irons that out, you know, I think he'll be all right. I think he gets a bit more stick than probably deserves sometimes just because of his attitude and his personality. You know, he's not someone who shy, he doesn't shy away from from uh, the criticism and he sh- certainly doesn't shy away from, from the antics sometimes but you know, I, I do generally think Jordan Pickford will be Everton's long term number one the, the Lossell thing is just so strange isn't it so you know as, as we've kind of pointed out such a it was an odd decision wasn't it for Pick uh, for Ferguson sorry to, to randomly make in his first game to, to drop the second choice but to he, third choice but, but Ancelotti has then came in and continued it so, so surely, Dun- obviously surely Duncan who's been uh, with the first team all season must not have seen enough from him and maybe in yeah. the back of his mind Marco's still in charge and he's thinking if I if I was in charge he wouldn't be in yeah. the squad yeah and, and and that's the thing isn't it and, and now we've also got say new I know he's with the under 23s but a, a new to the first team goalkeeping coaching Alan Kelly who worked with Stekelenberg 
last time he was number two, and, and maybe he kind of had an influence on on that as well. You know, which would which would possibly make sense. So you know that, that that's another strange kind of offshoot to this season, and <laughs> just another weird weird footnote. I think when you've got a goalkeeper as good as everything Jordan Pickford is, I don't think it matters. No, uh, I mean I remember. You know, Neville Southall having a succession of very, very good backup goalkeepers that just couldn't get a look in uh, because he insisted on playing every minute of every game. And, um, you know, Fred Barber, Bobby Mims, uh, Jim Arnold, you know, initially. But did, did um, they not help Neville keep his levels? I don't think so, no. I think it comes <laughs> from the individual themselves. Um, I just think that, you know, when you're a driven enough goalkeeper, and Neville was insane in his, uh, his training, you know, sort of regimen. Um, he was always out first in at Belfield. I was always turning up there when his car was already on the car park. and lived in Landudno as well. You know, and it took about an hour and a half to get there. Always first there. You know, so generally last to leave. And he just like pushed himself relentlessly. And I think Jordan Pickford is the England number one goalkeeper. And I think that's what drives him. I think, you know, the, uh, the desire to try and retain that status is what pushes him. And I don't think having, you know, a number two that might be, you know, so almost as good as you is going to push him. I think it's just, it comes from within. It's such a strange position, goalkeeping. I think you have to be so... Um, so driven. I mean, goalkeepers are very strange. The one sat right next to me now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so no, you, you've got to be a former goalkeeper. <laughs> you've got to be like you know, a very you know sort of unique mindset. So I don't think it really matters as much as other positions. Maybe uh, what you've got in reserve pushing you on. Okay, before we uh, wrap up uh, today's uh, podcast, the second of the week, of course, it's customary predictions time to go around the table oh, and get the lads to predict the scoreline uh, for Saturday's game with Brighton. Chris, you're at the fire and we'll start yeah. with you. What's your prediction for Everton versus Brighton? Three o'clock, Guzman Park. Yeah, it, it, it's still not going to be enough to eradicate what happened last weekend, but uh, I'm going to be positive. I'm going to say 2-0 to Everton. For the, for the 250th time this season, I'm saying Everton are back. 4-0. <laughs> 4-0 Richardson first goal put that on and make yourself a rich man Phil right the impetuosity of youth dear oh dear 3-0 the idiocy of old age um, no I just think that there's going to be a reaction um, you know so everybody is aware of you know how angry the supporters were at what happened last week and we're going to see a reaction admittedly there might be a bit of you know well, so well you know so you know one week too late unfortunately and also the fact that so many players were weary laboured leg weary uh, having played only four days or three days previously at Man City full week to prepare for this one fresh uh, yeah. yeah exactly I think Ancelotti has said that they've trained well this week so I can see a convincing home win good I think I think 2-0 as well I do think we will keep a clean sheet and Get the reaction we all want, expect, and, and will be demanding. So, chaps, thank you very much for your company. Excellent, as always. And thank you very much for listening. We'll be back again, of course, early next week to uh, sift through what we hope is a victory over Brighton and getting the Blues back on track and stay with us across the weekend. We'll be at Goodison on Saturday. All the live up- updates, news, analysis, opinion, post-match analysis, of course. Stay with us. Thank you very much for listening. This has been the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.